Hey friends, welcome to the Neighbors Church podcast. It's been a couple weeks since my wife Alexis and I have been here in our sound studio closet recording these conversations, and we are so excited to get back in your headspace and humbled that you would even put your buds in and give us a listen. In our last conversation, we had mentioned uh, that we were on our way to Kings Canyon in the Sequoia National Forest, and we were going to be doing some backpacking up there, and we were able to do that. Uh, Our topic last time was returning to the garden as humans being, just going and doing nothing. And it was a tremendous time. So good. So refreshing. So beautiful. And in that time, God taught us many things. He showed us many things. And one thing that stuck out in particular on our personal return to the garden was how he he orders the details to make it even more enjoyable than what we could have ever imagined. So we were going to go and backpack and spend the night by the lakes, but a dear friend of ours in the church, in our church, in Neighbors Church, he just so happened in God's divine mercy to have a family cabin right at the trailhead of the very trails that we had permitted to go backpacking in. And I I cannot express with words how spiritual and sacred this space was for us. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, just in the physical details, my wife and I were able to go out and do these extensive day hikes, 10, 12 miles, whatever we were doing, into these high remote alpine areas. We would get up there, have our lunch, do some swimming, enjoy the incredible scenery, rest, pray, And then we could come back down rather than spending the night all sore and dirty in a tent and on the ground and get a hot shower in this cabin with running water. And, and I, oh, I literally don't have words right now. It was in every sense of the word delightful. It was. And I was delighting in not only the majesty of God and creation, but in his tenderness, in his exquisite attention to detail and how to bring his children into a place of just being and not only just being, but enjoying and delighting. And that's our topic for today. We want to talk about delighting ourselves in the Lord and living as people of delight, because when we delight ourselves in the Lord, we are truly experiencing a fullness of humanity. It's what all of us are longing for. You know, we talked about the Garden of Eden last time, and we want to open this conversation returning to the Garden of Eden again. Um, Eden had um, has roots and sources in the ideas of delight and enjoyment. And from the very beginning of time, God placed humans, Adam and Eve, in a setting of delight and enjoyment. And there was certainly, you know, work that had to be done. They had to tend and cultivate the garden, but the work was done in a context of joy and delight. Yeah, Eden, it, it's this kind of complicated word. It, it can be translated, or it has, at least in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew texts, it, it is translated the Garden of Delight, or it could be literally translated, or it was translated in this way, the garden of enjoyment. And so our original capacity for which God made us was a capacity to enjoy, a capacity, a capacity to, to delight in creation, to delight in our relationship with him. That's profound, and that's an important starting point 
for us and understanding what it is to be human, to have meaning, to find purpose. John Piper um, at one point took the Westminster Catechism's um, opening question, which was, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, John Piper took that and he tweaked it just a bit to say, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And so what Piper and other great thinkers from Jonathan Edwards to Oswald Chambers um, have taught through the centuries is that when we enjoy our lives, when we are humble, content, and grateful people, we are a display case for God's honor and his glory. Yeah, a life that is content, something that we're all longing for, and a life that is full. Um, you know, modern psychology and neuroscience, I often mention these disciplines, they're discovering that a life that is filled with gratefulness, so practicing gratefulness, all of these things in the Christian context, contentedness and humility and gratefulness, that life um, really is a life that in so many ways is a life that is returning to the garden of delight and enjoyment. It is returning to um, our original purposes, which was to receive from our Creator these incredible details of enjoyable aspects of creation while we cultivate, while we work, while we do things, while we serve Him. And this is the posture of soul that we were designed to be in and, and to do. Now, we want to make just a little note here that happiness is different than joy in our experience. And we think it's important to, to make this distinction. Because of sin, we think certain things will mean our happiness or delight, as we're talking about. We think that they may actually be, um, you know, our fulfillment of all the things that we're longing for in life. But one thing that we fail to realize is they may be uh, more depressing and even more deadly than we realize. Now, as we base our happiness on external circumstances, we all know, we've all experienced that that is faulty. Happiness is often conditional, whereas true joy in the life of a believer is not based on external conditions. So we can tend to think, if I had so much money or fame or power, or if I had this relationship, the list can go on and on and on. We think that will mean our happiness, but those are external conditions. Yeah, there's a real subtlety here in this happiness based on external circumstances that makes this confusing and it can make it a little bit difficult. And it's this, um, the things that we tend to base our external or the external circumstances that we try to base our happiness on, they're not necessarily bad things. They're not, mm -hmm. they're not necessarily sinful. And so money is certainly not inherently evil. Um, and money is often used throughout the biblical narrative for tremendous good when it is um, used generously for the multiplication of the kingdom, platform, or fame, or power. These are not necessarily inherently evil things. Um, they're actually really good things. The, the problem arises in that sin has deformed our hearts and it makes 
money or platform or power or or relationships or a sense of of earthly acceptance it makes those things ultimate it makes them ultimate they ultimately take the place of god uh, and they separate us further from his garden of true delight i just cannot recommend enough anything written by tim keller this is a very short synopsis of a lifetime of Tim Keller's work talking about the idolatry that we deal with, the false gods that we base our happiness on. And when good things become ultimate, they twist and deform and don't satisfy. And so only when God is at our center and only when God is the source of our joy can these things be held in their proper place. When God is at our center, then money can come and go. As Paul said, I've learned to be content in lack and in abundance. Power, fame, uh, even the relationships in our lives, we have what Ignatius called a holy indifference to them. It's not that we're indifferent in a negative way. It's that if they stay or if they go, if we have them or if we don't have them, there is a deep joy that we abide in and so they are in their proper place. We can discern what we think will make us most happy by, um, honestly, just a quick introspective assessment. Um, there's these three questions we can ask ourselves. The first one would be, what do I weep over not having or losing? Just ask yourself that question. It's a way to discern what we're vesting our happiness in. What do I weep over not having or losing? The second one is, what do I worry about not having or losing? And then the third one is, what do I war to have or not lose? So those three, those three W's, what do I weep over? What do I worry about? And what do I war to have? Yeah. Those questions are so incisive, and they are going to reveal where we are centering our joy. Um, let's turn a corner here. One of my favorite psalms in all of the Psalter is Psalm 37. I currently actually am in a very, very deep dive translation process, meditation process, just chewing on every single word from the psalm uh, from beginning to end. And Psalm 37 commands us to delight in the Lord. We want this to kind of set the trajectory for the back end of our conversation. Delight in the Lord, the psalmist says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That is a compelling promise. <laughs> if I delight myself in the Lord, if I enjoy him, if as Piper or the catechism has so commanded or taught us, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Then I'm going to get the desires of my heart. Oh my gosh, I think I just hit the spiritual jackpot with this <laughs> verse, right? Right. It's true. This verse is the spiritual jackpot. This is the treasure that you've been hunting for. But here's where the fool's gold lies, so to speak. Here's where things can get really tricky for us because, again, Sin has deformed our desires. Sin has twisted and um, malformed the things that we desire because we actually are not in the garden of delight and enjoyment any longer. 
So we preface this with this idea that we place our happiness in external circumstances. And now we want to dial in some more detail on this. We want joy and we want contentment, but our desires are often convoluted and off-center. And so these desires can actually become unfulfilling. The desires can drive us in wrong directions that are dangerous. And in the case of sin, when sin truly usurps the authority of God in our lives, these desires, deformed, malformed desires, they actually lead to our death. And so the fountainhead of joy is God's present presence. And deep underneath all the layers of our desires is this desire to be with God. That's what the Garden of Eden was. It was two humans living in the present presence of God. Sin has poisoned that. So let's just ask a practical, concrete question. How do we delight in the Lord? The first thing is we want to point you to some things that we need to stop doing in order to delight in the Lord. And then we want to point you to some things that you need to start doing. And we're going to use all of these tips, so to speak, from Psalm 37. So the first thing we want to do is we want to stop living other people's stories. Yeah. Okay. So here's what the psalmist starts with. He says, don't fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Uh, There is no stronger thief of delight than comparison. When we forget that we are wholly unique and that our particular place in the cosmos in this particular time is as important as anybody else's, then we lose that garden posture of delight and enjoyment and our specific purpose. And so the psalmist opens this pathway to delighting in the Lord by saying, you do have to stop doing this. You have to stop living other people's stories. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this, one of my favorite scenes from Peter. Peter, everything about Peter I love. I just so love that man and cannot wait to meet him. But at the very end of the Gospel of John, there's John, the apostle of love, and there's Peter, and there's these kind of stories going around, and, and Peter's looking at John, hearing these stories that he may not die, and, and Peter looks at Jesus, and he's literally like, hey, man, like, what, what, why, what are you going to do? What, why are you doing that? What about, what about me? And um, Jesus says, you follow me. You follow me. Jesus does not leave room for us to live other people's stories. He just doesn't. It's not why he made you. He did not create you to live another person's story. And envy is the mark. Comparison is the mark of a man or a woman who is desperate to find and make and engineer a story that they think will bring delight and happiness, but it's not theirs. And God will not let that happen. He loves us too much. It's interesting with Instagram how... We all love to watch stories on Instagram, and I definitely have spent my fair share of time watching the lives of people I don't even know 
uh, via their stories. And I'm so intrigued with it. And it's fascinating. And oftentimes, um, I think I'm fine. And I think it's no big deal. But honestly, you have to ask yourself the question, is this a way that we are subtly kind of projecting ourselves into another person's life and kind of living their story, so to speak? Um, And it's no uh, surprise to any of us that Instagram is a huge platform for comparison, for robbing us of joy collectively because we are all kind of living in other people's stories and seeing what's happening in other people's lives and longing for those same things to be happening in our own lives. The social media thing is so new to the human psyche and to the human experience. We have yet to see what benefits. Of course, there's going to be massive benefits and what burdens is actually going to play out on us societally. I know for myself, and of course, this is for myself personally, I reached a point where I literally had to turn from living other people's stories. I've been a digital hermit for maybe about a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, almost a year, maybe Maybe even over a year. Mm -hmm. It's been a while. I don't have an Instagram account. I don't have a Facebook account. I don't get on Twitter. Um, My daughter talked me into doing a TikTok with her. Do you know what this is? A TikTok (laughs) dance thing? It's epic, you guys. It's so hilarious. So my my 17-year-old daughter talked me into doing a TikTok dance with her. I was hoping maybe it would go viral, but I'll never know because I don't have TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) um, The point being, sometimes drastic measures are needed to be taken for delight, my loved friend. And you may really need to consider uh, more than just a detox but a full denial of other people's stories and just saying, I'm going to focus today on the story that God is writing for me. Now, really important thing here, the psalmist brings out a detail here that I think is the struggle for most humans when it comes to faith, when it comes to understanding and believing and loving um, the justice and the equality and the goodness of God. He specifically says don't fret because of those who are evil and don't be envious of those who do wrong. The psalmist doesn't bury his head in the sand. He recognizes that there are really good people that are are suffering terribly. And there are really, really, really bad people that it just seems to go so well for them. And that can be a delight destroyer. When we see the inequality and the injustice that is done in this world. And so the psalmist answers that. He says, don't fret over this. Don't worry about this. And what you need to do is have a deeper faith in the future equality and the perfections of God's justice. He literally says, for like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Evil will fade. Mm -hmm. The promise of the entirety of scripture is that the righteous and the meek the humble and the content, they will inherit the earth. The unseen ones will be seen and the unheard will be heard and the oppressed, they will actually rule with a benevolence that was formed in their days of breaking. They will rule alongside King Jesus with kindness and generosity and benevolence that was formed through their suffering. And so there is a level where to delight in the Lord, we stop living other people's stories, comparing and and envying, and we literally trust in these deep eternal life promises of God. 
both my wife and I have been on this massive Oswald Chambers kick. Uh, what an incredibly mystic and powerful and pastoral writer. Um, almost every time I open up a chamber, Chambers devotional or text, it just speaks to the moment. And maybe today you need to hear this lengthy quote. It's lengthy and it's wordy, but Chambers just nails how to delight in the Lord is to no longer walk in another person's story, but it's also to deeply trust that even in the face of the most horrific events in life, God is love. Here's what Chambers writes. And again, stick with me. It's a little bit long. Chambers says this, God is love. No one but God could have revealed that to the world. For men, and we all, all of us indeed, we see nothing but its contradiction in our own limited world of experience. Chambers is saying God is love, but in our experience, we only see that being contradicted. He goes on. It needs but little imagination to construe the life of hundreds of this great city's inhabitants into a vehement laughter at such a declaration as God is love. From shattered, broken lives, from caverns of despair, where fiends seem living rather than men, comes the existing contradiction to any such statement. No wonder the carnal mind, the merely intellectually cultured, consider us believers infatuated. They consider us mere dreamers, talking of love when murder and war and famine and lust and pestilence and all the refinement of selfish cruelty is abroad in the earth. And then Chambers uses this old archaic word. He says, but oh, the sublimity, sublimity, sublime, this, this height of joy and peace and contentment. Chambers says, but oh, the sublimity of the Abraham-like faith that dares to place the center of its life and confidence and action and hope in an unseen and apparently unknown God, saying, God is love, in spite of all appearances to the contrary, saying, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Such faith is counted to a man for righteousness." so potent for our day and so important for us as garden people to turn our hearts wholly to God, even in the face of immense wickedness and horrific brokenness and declare with Job, though he slay me, I will worship him because God is love. To declare with Jesus from the cross, Father, not my will, but your will be done. So let's move on from the don't do this to do do this. We want to encourage you guys to do what God has given you to do for the day, for his glory. So again, from Psalm 37, verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Dwell where you are at presently not in the past, and not in the future. It's easy to look back on our past and live from a place of, I wish I would have, or I wish this would have happened, from a place of wishing. We can't control what's happened. What's done is done. We need to move past it 
and we need to be where we're at presently. We're missing out on what's presently happening because we're not dwelling in what is presently happening. But so too, we can get caught up in focusing so much on the future that we're missing out on what's presently happening. And so we want to encourage you to admonish you um, to dwell where you are presently. Again, from Psalm 37, it says to enjoy safe pasture. This can also be said as feeding on God's faithfulness. Literally feed, nourish yourself on God's faithfulness. Enjoy his faithfulness. Oftentimes before I go to bed, I literally go through the day and I reflect on the ways God was faithful to me. It may be literally just having breath where I was able to go on a walk, I was able to get my things done. I didn't have to think about my health or um, my ability to move. Like I was just able to do all those things. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. I might think about my relationships with my family members, and I can see where God was moving in a conversation, and his presence was with us. And it's like, man, thank you, God, for your faithfulness in that. And maybe sometimes there's a day where God answered a huge prayer, and I'm able to go to bed and say, Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Oftentimes, I have talked about it's important to, even though we're saying don't live in the past, there is a wonderful thing that happens when you revisit, when you remember what God has done in the past. And so this daily way of reflecting on what was now past your day, you're able to feed, to literally enjoy God's faithfulness by remembering. So here's another subtle aspect of what Alexis is talking about. She's reflecting on her past, but she's doing it with a present awareness. She's dwelling in the present moment, infusing that present moment, feeding on the faithfulness of God by remembering how God has provided, what God has done, how God has been there, how God has always come through, and it feeds this present moment of dwelling and delighting in God and on God and through God. It's very, very profound. And guys, this practice, this delighting in the present moment, dwelling in the present moment, this is not trivial. I think this is crucial. I think this is the linchpin. This is the key that God is moving us towards. The other day, I had gone out for a sunrise session surfing, and I was on the five on my way back home, kind of meditating loosely around this verse, meditating on what does it mean to delight in the Lord. And I noticed in my body there was anxiety and just a lingering sense of kind of, I don't know, sadness. And as I investigated more deeply, I realized, oh, my running stream of consciousness is taking me to some things in the past, and I'm ruminating on them. I'm actually experiencing some things from the past that are gone. They, they don't exist right now. And God was faithful to bring us through those things in His goodness. So in this present moment, in my minivan, on the five, and there's no traffic, by the way, amazing, uh, I, can in, I can dwell right now in this moment with God. I also noted, oh, I'm super worried about the future. Uh, I have this running narrative. I'm already experiencing multiple points of tragedy in the future that don't exist because I'm in my minivan on the five. I just wrapped up surfing. This is my moment. And so I was like, what does it mean to actually delight concretely in the Lord right now? And it literally was taking a deep breath down into my belly in my minivan and saying, I'm with you now, Father, and you have never not been with me. You have been with me. You will be with me. And I delight in that. 
I delight right now in this moment that you are faithful. And no matter what comes, I trust you. No matter how much the world is breaking apart, I trust you. I dwell in you right now. And that carries you through your day in such a way as to utterly transform the whole of your being. And I think, honestly, we should do that right now in the middle of this podcast. Do this with me. Take a breath into your belly. Come into this present moment. Attune your awareness to where you are. Most likely, you have a roof over your head, food in your belly, a functioning body, ears that hear, eyes that see, a brain that works. Delight in the goodness of God in this moment, and then deepen your faith and your trust in doing good for him today out of his absolute and complete faithfulness. So as you are feeding, nourishing on God's faithfulness, you're literally enjoying his faithfulness. Your desires are transformed into his desires. Literally, they become garden desires, what he originally wanted for us. And so verse four goes on to say, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. As we're delighting, in God and our desires are being transformed, we can take those things to him, the desires, all that we're doing, the work that we're doing for the day, we can commit it to him and trust in him that he will do it, that he will act. Yeah, that, that word commit is, uh, it's a beautiful image. It's the image of rolling something off of you. So you, ha- you have a burden on you and you roll it off of you. And so to dwell in the present moment and commit your way to the Lord and he will act. It's the imagery of when you begin to think about the future and you're anxious, think of it like a ball, a big heavy stone ball, and you just roll it back to God and commit it to him. When your past begins to plague you and rob you of delight and dwelling in the present moment and his faithfulness to forgive and forget and wash and make you righteous— When that happens, when that ball is placed in your hands and your soul, commit it back to God, roll it back to him. And the process of dwelling we're discovering is rolling the ball of past and future, uh, rolling the ball of anxiety, rolling the ball of worry, rolling that ball back to God all day long, Mm -hmm. moment by moment. And that's what they were doing in the garden. They were living in that intimate, constant communion with their father. We've prayed that for you today. We literally on hands and knees have bowed before our father and prayed that today you friend would be encouraged to dwell in the land, to delight yourself in the Lord, to find the desires of your heart being met in ways you could have never imagined, unexpected ways as he reorients redefines your desires according to these Garden of Eden principles. And we trust that you'll walk away from this time encouraged and moved and motivated to do good in the land. We love you so much, dear friends. Grace and peace to you. Shalom. Shalom.